welcome to another episode of your next favorite movie podcast. I'm your host, Josh G. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Chad, what the hell are you doing, man? You you know what? Never mind. I'll just take over, man. I I got this. And welcome to a very special episode of your next favorite movie podcast. I am Chris. And I'm Chad. And Josh couldn't be here with us today, which means it's our show. And not his. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some fava beans. I skinned. That was totally wicked! If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! According to legend, there is a lost princess whose journey home begins with three tasks, each one more deadly than the last. Critics are calling Pan's Labyrinth a masterpiece that fries your nerves and fires your imagination. Pan's Labyrinth, rated R, starts Friday, December 29th. All right, guys, so with a 95% critical rating and a 91% audience critical score as well on Rotten Tomatoes, Pan's Labyrinth, directed by Guillermo del Toro, was a success at the box office. It started off with a $19 million budget and then ending with $83.9 million. Overall, this is a really good universal acclaim movie. It sounds like the majority of people love this movie, including mine. It's my personal favorite. So today we're going to go ahead and jump right into this conversation. Joining us today are the co-creators and co-writers of the successfully crowdfunded comic series Pocus Hocus. And I know it sounds really different uh, because most people want to say Hocus Pocus. That's what people are mostly used to anyway. But (laughs) this is a really great concept, a really great story, great stuff. So with that said, how about we just turn it over to our guest and Alan, we'll start with you. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, I'm Alan and I am the co-writer of Pocus Hocus. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, whenever we first started writing the thing, um, you know, it was difficult for us to say Pocus Hocus because of course we want to say Hocus Pocus. But now when we hear people say Hocus Pocus, it sounds weird to me. Like yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue anymore. It sounds backwards. <laughs> it's like now we have to struggle to say Hocus Pocus. Yeah. yeah. So like when we're, when we're talking about the film with, um, uh, Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker yeah, and, right. and all that. It's it's like it's we immediately for me. I don't know if it's the same for Alan, but for me, I immediately just go focus or, or hocus pocus. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, great segue for the audience. That's Will. Go ahead, Will. Yeah, so <laughs> Hi everybody. Um, I can't say uh, pocus hocus or hocus pocus typically in conversation. So that's the that's the first first uh, that's the introduction to me so (laughs) (laughs) well thank you guys so much for being here today we really do appreciate it and from what i understand from what chad told me you guys from west virginia yes yeah we are um we both actually uh went to high school together um we became friends in 11th grade and have just stayed great friends ever since Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Because Chad and I, we were born in West Virginia, technically. Oh, Bluefield. Oh wow. Okay. Where, where'd you Where'd you say you were born? Bluefield. Oh, perfect. Okay, so oh, Bluefield nice. is actually forty five minutes away from us. We live in Beckham. Yeah, it's not yes. that. It's, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away. I yep. suppose. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah, dad uh, lived there his entire life, so he just he knows the whole entire landscape. So we could sit there and go, "Oh yeah, these people are from such and such or whatever," and he would just go, "Oh okay, I know where that's at and how many minutes yeah. away and." He'll know yeah. like all these different uh, landscapes and stuff, or you know, little buildings or something. Some that would well, make it right. An idea yeah, man, that's that's awesome. That's Ooh, small, cool. small, small world. Small world. <laughs> right. yeah. So I gotta say, I gotta ask you guys this one question before anything else. Uh, what is the inspiration for Pocus Hocus? What got you guys together to be like, you know, what I got this idea for this magician guy and a fucking demon coming together. <laughs> so I'm really curious how this all came about. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll, I'll start Will, and then I'll, I'll let you finish uh, because it's kind of how everything happened. That's how logically. That's the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so 
I actually had the idea for Pocus Hocus before it was called that stupid name that we agreed on. Um, back in the in the way back machine, whenever I was eight, uh, before I could even spell the word magician, which I can barely do now, I was trying to write a comic book. You know, of course, it's made on like loose leaf scrap paper, and I, I still can't draw. And it was called The Magician, and it was about just this superhero magician that, of course, I never did anything with. I only made it to the first page, and then that was it. And it's just crazy how ideas can just stick with you. Uh, whether oh, yeah. you think about it or not, and they're just embedded in your subconscious. Well, um, you know, I, th- I guess something just struck one day and I approached Will and I said, hey, um, you know, I've been kind of working on this idea because the magician idea came came back up. I was like, I kind of want to do a comic book uh, about a magician. And the original idea for it was actually going to be set up kind of like uh, because one of my favorite television shows of all time is the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. So originally it was going to be set up episodic. And what really fueled that is the comic book series, ice cream man, because every, every issue, there's something different and sinister and dark. And, um, you know, actually the, the first issue that we were going to write is the central point of the box for issue two of Pocus Hocus. So it's kind of cool how we were ready, able to incorporate that. But the idea was that it was about this evil, sinister magician that did all this uh, demonic stuff to the audience um, and, and pulled them on stage. And the audience was, you know, they, they had no idea that someone was being tortured or, or whatever, because that, that to me is true horror. That's what scares me, you know, when you don't, when you're not aware of your surroundings and and what's happening to you. But, uh, you know, Will and I fleshed out the idea then of a magician who sells his soul and then the journey of him to reclaim it. So, Will, I'll go and let you take it from here then. Yeah, we, when, I mean, so we talked about different, when he came to me with the original idea, we talked about different genres we could do with it and different tones and, and um, that sort of thing. And I think we, we ultimately landed on some, um, I mean, obviously sticking with the magician sells his, sells his soul trajectory. Uh, we landed on that and we decided to incorporate some dark comedy because we've both always loved a dark comedy. Uh, I come from a background of theater and film. So, um, you know, I kind of started talking about things just in terms of structure. And we started talking about how we would outline each issue and figured out our methods, you know, for all that stuff. Uh, like all the boring stuff, you know, the pre-writing, the pre-writing, pre-writing stuff yeah. and all that. Um, but I, I told him very early on, I was like, you don't, you, or you may not realize that, that you've done this, but essentially you're, you're doing like this, this idea is its own version of like a Faust story, a Faustian mm-hmm. story. Yes, absolutely. And I was familiar with Faust through, you know, um, through my theater background and, and just, you know, being aware of Dr. Faustus and all that. So that was really appealing to me. And um, we kind of just fused those two sensibilities together. And, and this is, this is ultimately what we came up with. And I think we discovered that we worked a lot better together, you know, writing, especially for this medium than we'd ever really thought yeah. of or realized before. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, whenever Will and I, we were first setting everything up, um, this is both of our first comic book. So we, you know, we had to make it special and we wanted to to do it right. You know, we didn't want to suffer from the, the first timer syndrome. Right. Um, So with the guidance of a lot of our friends, um, you know, people who are already ingrained in the indie community, we were able to put a team together and it's been just such an amazing ride so far. And I, and I think the big thing too, that Will and I really try to hone in on we're, we're not naive. I mean, we're stupid, but we're not naive. <laughs> we, we know that the, the foul story and selling your soul to a demon is, you know, one of the oldest stories ever told. I mean, hell, mm-hmm. there's a song written about it, about a man going to Georgia <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to sell That's his soul to the devil, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, we, we really try to make it our own unique take. And ultimately we just want to have fun with it. And we hope the reader has as much fun reading it as we do writing it. Yes, absolutely. What they say is like art is inspired by art. So Mm -hmm. it's always usually circles around and every, you know, every generation, every century or whatever, there's always going to be a little Mm -hmm. bit of a twist to something that's probably already been told or already been seen. 
but it gives a little bit of extra, I guess you could say a little extra levity of sorts to just kind of get the message across and be like, Hey, this is something that is universal in a way. So, you know, it's really, really good. And I have to say like, you know, it goes into the movie we're going to be talking about, of Mm -hmm. course, uh, because I do find that even with the art, the art, by the way, gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and even the demon himself in there kind of has that little bit of El Fano, the fawn, oh, if you will. Yeah, it does. It, it has, really does. has that little yeah. bit of a look to him anyway. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I can kind of see some of the inspiration. And you guys are talking about my favorite movie as well. This is my number one favorite oh, movie for really? Years. Wow. Okay. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because... the, yeah. It's it's been uh, it's been at the top of my list for for many 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 years uh, yes. since I saw it in two thousand six. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah it, because it, whenever we were first in talks of doing a movie, you know, Will and I, we were kind of going back and forth. It's like, well, do we each want to just do our own movie? And then it's like, well, let's just do a movie that we both love. And it was almost immediate. Like, let's just do Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, that's great. I, and I'm here glad. we are. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when that movie, I just remember seeing at least the trailers for it and mm-hmm. being excited. And then, of course, it dropped in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I used to work at a theater a long time ago in there, and I would just be like, yeah, "People need to go see this." You know, I'd even try to drop hints to customers and be like, "Yeah, definitely go check it out." Blah blah. blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was just so good. But I've seen it. Gosh probably at least a handful of times while I was in theaters before it finally mm-hmm. came out on DVD and everything, but it just stays with you. It's a beautiful yep. film and you can see some of that resonance in y'all's work here for this one, because yeah. I think there's uh, that fantasy, yeah, there's that horror, there's that drama mm-hmm. element to it as well. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, you said before our illustrator, Brian Belando, uh, you know, he's better than what we could have asked for, you know, mm-hmm. without a doubt, he's better what we deserve. And <laughs> yeah. he draws a lot of his inspiration from Hellboy and uh oh, nice. Ito mm-hmm. manga and yeah. stuff like that so it's just it, it all kind of works perfect and like uh, yeah. you said like e- even cool. our demon you know i didn't think about it till you said it but it really kind of does look like the fawn of the labyrinth doesn't it yeah. uh because you had mentioned your illustrator mm-hmm. um how did you guys uh find him um yeah. and and convince him to work on your your project yeah, convincing was the scariest part. We'll start yeah, with that. Isn't it? Because oh, sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. you know, how do you condense your own work into one sentence right. to send to somebody and be like, hey, do you want to work on this? Especially, you know, Will and I, yeah, well, mainly I'll speak for myself, but uh, I'm my own worst critic, and I, but I think everyone is, right? Oh, a lot of artists uh, are. We, we yeah. can totally relate, really, you know. So, and I'll let Will talk about the the art process with this because he's better at explaining it but sure. whenever we wrote our script you know i remember we're, we were going back and forth and it's like will is this good enough and then we we sent it out to brian and he absolutely loved it and will i'll go and let you talk about the what all we did with that in the selection process man yeah we had well we took a look at his instagram and uh looked at illustrations he had done before in the past kind of like his portfolio social media portfolio and we felt like he would be a really good fit and um you know when we agreed upon it or when we agreed on it and uh reached out to him to see if he wanted to do it you know i mean there was some you know obviously some nervousness about like alan was saying you know can, can we sell this to him will it be something that he wants to commit to for at being at that point well i mean we knew it was going to be you know six issues but we didn't really have like any plans at that point for another arc and stuff like that like we do now and um he he was very enthusiastic about it and that that made us both really happy because so much of this um especially with the you know this issue coming out to uh you know has been collaborative and we've been very lucky in the sense that we can, there are moments when we can go to Brian and, and ask for his input on things and say, okay, what are your sensibilities telling you about, you know, building this part of the the world and the story and, and that kind of thing. So it's just, it's just been a really nice marriage of styles, I guess. And yeah, I think that, yeah. um, yeah, well, I, I don't, and I don't think, I don't know if we, t- I cannot remember if we told him when we were de- developing the, de- talking about the design for the demon if we wanted it to look like the fauna and pan's labyrinth or not no but we didn't feel, we I, just we just let him go we just said right, we, need a, right. we need a demon and, yeah and <laughs> by well and by default that's going to happen because you know the del toro influence i mean oh, you yeah. know, that 
runs yeah. deep. So Absolutely. when I looked at when I looked at the illustration for the first time, I've got an eleven by seventeen nice. illustration <laughs> hanging in my office right now. I love I love to look at it, but I immediately I was like, oh yeah, that that's yeah. that that is very much referencing Pan's Labyrinth, and I love it because I love the design of the font and I love the earthy kind of yeah. look. Yes, and yeah. and this bleeds over too to um, and you guys will see it uh, on the Kickstarter in a preview page. Uh, you get your first glimpse of our version of hell. And oh, it looks, yeah. And we are so excited for issue three because that's when we finally really get to just throw everything at everything. Yeah. Well, I can I'm tell already, you as, yeah. as a reader, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. really excited for, for part three awesome. of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just want to touch real quick on the Kickstarter history. Um, I had uh, listened to you guys on a, on a separate podcast fairly oh, okay. recently that I'm also a subscriber to. Um, and I know that you uh, had talked about um, how, you were um, how you guys are really pleased with how it seems like more and more backers have been uh, coming on to yep. the project. Can you talk a little bit about maybe like where you're hoping this third campaign will go? And, and yeah, so Will has been insufferable ever since uh, the success <laughs> of the second campaign. Um, he rides around town in limousines, just throwing out wads of cash. And oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the Kickstarter right is like, yeah, oh, we need yeah, guys, sorry. To join yeah. I, I couldn't put any of it in production costs because Will was too busy <laughs> celebrating. Right, right. And yeah. for limousine cost and gas. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, so. Funny. Money well spent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Champagne in there, I hope too. No, there's, so there's, <laughs> there is a yeah, there's a booster, there's a booster seat made of gold for my cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So it was it was crazy because um, you know, this is Will and I, whenever we talked about it initially, uh it's Kickstarter is still very new to us. I mean, this is only our third campaign that we're running and it's mm. weird to me anyway, because this is the first hobby I've ever done where I've asked people to help support it. And, you know, it's like, well, how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Especially in a take tasteful and tactful way. But, you know, I mean, it, that's how it is in the indie world. You know, you really need yeah. your fans and supporters to, to yeah. succeed. Um, and we, we set the goal for issue one at a thousand dollars because we felt that was good. And we ended up made, we made a, $2,200 and had 73 backers. Wow. And we were so pleased with that. Um, you know, especially in this medium too, because one thing that you, you can always prepare for it, but you don't know till it happens. Making your own comic book is pretty expensive yeah, and sure. shipping, yeah. shipping. That is the most expensive <laughs> thing. Probably daunting. On the planet. daunting and scary yes. too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Whenever we did the goal for issue two, we set it at $3,000 and we're like, oh God, I, I don't know if we're going to hit that. That's way too much. And to our surprise, we ended up making around $6,300 wow. and um, and we had 173 backers. So we literally had a hundred more backers yeah. than we did for issue one. And to me, that's the most important thing. You know, obviously having the extra funds to go toward the comic and all Absolutely. the you know, all the add-ons and everything like that. That's, that's awesome. But I just want to get this into the hands of as many people as possible, because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, when Will and I talk about it, you know, it's a passion project more than anything. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. No, you yeah. can definitely tell it's y'all's baby. And that's the thing yeah. about being an artist. Cause I, I mean, Chad and I were, were artists in our own rights too. So mm -hmm. that's particularly for me within films, so I went to film school and all that stuff. And okay. when you, I don't know. It's like when your mind just creates something and you work so hard on it, you want it to be perfect, especially when it's that yeah. first mm -hmm. big project because you yeah, really yeah. want it to be good and you want to convince people to mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, it's good, but at the same time, you're kind of a little scared because you're like, please don't treat yeah. it badly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, we kind of really did. Uh, we put you know, we put it all out there, Will. When you say, especially yeah. for our first project. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, we, I, I think that we were working in uh, like a genre and like we, we are lucky in the sense that like we're, we're working in a genre and with material that we really, really love and, and geek out over, you know? Um, so, I mean that, you know, that definitely helps, but yeah, we, we really did. Um, we, we threw it all out there and what's been incredible too is like going forward since, since this has happened, we really are staying on track with, with our original story and idea and vision for the, mm -hmm. the, the project, because this was always a project where after we started outlining things, it's like, it gets, it gets better with each installment. Yeah. And so after, after, by the time the, the, the Kickstarter for issue two had gotten done and, and we had sort of outperformed 
by our expectations that much it was like wow okay this this is like this is our exposition pretty yeah. much we thought yeah. we were being risky you know keeping some exposition for issue two saving some of that for right. issue two and people are really digging this it, i mean you know so we've really got th- this is really cool because it we know we are confident that it gets better from here yeah, you know yeah, that's so that's amazing. why yeah, well, that's why when when campaigns like a campaign like this for issue three rolls around, it's really you really don't know what to expect because this is this was the issue where I thought, oh, okay, well, if we break, if we get one k or two k over our goal, it, it'll be issue three because yeah. that's I mean is so strong, and I mean we've we've sort of you know I mean in the past two campaigns have you know things like that have happened, so I'm real you know I'm really issue to see are really interested to see with an issue where we're kind of expecting it. You know, <laughs> exactly. What's, what's going to happen? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just want to know. I mean, I'm, I'm along for the ride, you know, so. Yeah. yeah like, like we said, you know, uh, we, we took a calculated risk um, by telling the story linearly because we, we could have started it, you know, we could have pans labyrinth it, right. We could have started <laughs> at the end and then worked our way backwards, but we, we really wanted just to go ahead and set up. This is our character. Uh, these are our players and then an issue to develop those characters just a little bit more so we can really get to our conflict and where we need to be and like will said we didn't expect issue two to do well at all honestly because it was really just a continuation of issue one um you know we, we have we, we, we tightened up a lot of things but issue three whenever because the campaign had already ended um and we were already done with the script for issue three. By that point, it was already sent off to get illustrated and everything. And after we finished the script, we we're like, okay, this is the one. Like Will said, if people are jumping into Pocus Hocus, they're going to want to get issue three because this is this is it. So we're hoping that everyone that has you know backed issue one and two uh, come back for issue three because we we know they're going to love it. And then yeah. we obviously on the Kickstarter have a catch up tier for those just joining us. And we we're so excited to have you on this ride with us. That's awesome because I mean it really feels like all that roller coaster effect where you're going up that hill, and so part three definitely feels like okay we're about to now take the dive. Yep. So we're yeah. everything's yeah. really set up nicely yeah. here. Yeah, I mean so. issues one and two the stakes were definitely getting higher. higher. Yeah. yeah, and I'm already intrigued with the, the Emily character, so I'm like already oh, yeah. to see what she's going to do and stuff too. Um, I'm excited for it. So you guys did a, a wonderful job here. Well, awesome, thank awesome. you. So. Cool. Good job on you guys. And by the way, just by curiosity, can you give us a little bit of a tease about what is part three, what to expect from part three? Uh, Will, do you want to do this one? (laughs) Yeah, the the best teaser for part three is uh, is right at the end of of issue, pretty much at the end of issue two in our thank you page and then our final um, caption for the, the, the final page, which is, it takes place, you know, in hell. It's Emily and Pocus are are going to hell now. So, um, you know, we've they, they've we, we've got them to this point, and uh, you know, it's it's always like the signs have always been pointing in those directions. I think, and now, you know, it's finally going to happen. So we we really get the. Um, I, I like to think that like, not that don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the Victorian stuff. I love the magician stuff and the, the visual artistry there in the atmosphere. I could play on that playground all day long, <laughs> but now we're like, I feel like with issue three, it's like comic book world, you know, that's, yeah, right. that's kind of where we're, we're at now. Yeah, so, and yeah, I guess the other teaser that we would have, uh, we want people to go in with the mindset of how Pocus and the demon were at the beginning of issue one and issue two because the demon is actually in pocus's realm so we wanted to flip that on on its head with pocus being in the demon's realm now and we really wanted to play off that and we won't say anything else oh that's gonna be interesting because the demon characters he's pretty funny too (laughs) some of his lines and stuff that comes in through there i'm like oh he's just (laughs) he's just teasing here or something what's going on yeah but uh yeah so anyway i guess We'll go ahead and start talking about the movie of the night, Pan's Labyrinth. So I got to ask, what made you guys decide on Pan's Labyrinth here? I mean, it's one of our favorites, right? Uh, Will, you actually introduced it to me in high school. Yeah. So go ahead. Right. It's one of our, it's one of our favorites uh, in high school. Obviously it came out like right around the time that we had, uh, that, that Alan and I had just started hanging out. We both were really big fans of Del Toro, and um, I mean, 
Oh boy, this is one of those questions where it's like I have so many things to say or so many answers for it. <laughs> yeah. But I gotta kind of pick my pick my words wisely here. But um, it's it's we picked it because aside from our mutual love of it and it just always having a presence throughout our life our, our lives. Anytime him and I talk about film or or mm-hmm. pop culture, or anything, it, it it always just seems to be somewhere like that's the standard, you know? Uh, so for example, another, so just, just to, to reinforce what I'm saying here really quick, anyone who knows me uh, personally throughout the past couple of years, whenever we talk about horror movies now, I always bring up hereditary because that's like the new gold standard for me, <laughs> like <laughs> the horror films. So, but Pan's Labyrinth was like that just, just for everything, you know, it was always, it was like all roads led back to it. So um, in addition to all that stuff, it also, I feel like just in terms of the vibe and subconscious influences and maybe more, con- maybe more, even conscious influences on our comic book, I feel like there's a lot of Del Toro influence and Pan's Labyrinth is, I mean, I think hands down his best movie. I mean, at least from my, from my. Same here. (laughs) (laughs) I like Shape of Water too, but. Oh yeah. No, don't get me wrong. But oh my gosh. Pan's Labyrinth is, I think it's his opus. Masterwork. It's his masterpiece. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. What about you, Alan? Like what uh, draws you to Pan's Labyrinth? Um, obviously, uh, I'm a huge sucker for, uh, Disney movies. Um, you know, it's a, it's a comfort thing for me. Right. And Disney and cinema, what they have done is they, they set the gold standard for fairy tales because that's where your mind goes to is the classic Disney cartoons. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, at the beginning of the, you know, Snow White, um, Sleeping Beauty, there's a storybook that opens. And, and it leads yeah. to the story that tells it. And Pan's Labyrinth is no exception. It, it starts with that storybook opening. Once upon a time, there was a princess. You know what I mean? And it's just yeah. chef's kiss. Already <laughs> really old right there. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I want oh, you yeah, to... No. Yeah, I was going to say, and it, and it balances, uh, you know, the, the real world with the fairy tale world. And it marries them so well together. And it has you scratching your head up until the end, which we'll obviously we'll get to later. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it has everything that I love. It has high fantasy, low fantasy, horror, suspense. Um, it, it just, it, hits so, it checks off so many boxes, right? It really does. Yeah. And, and that for me is, is why I love it so much. Yeah, yeah you mentioned, okay. uh, I, I just want to add this really quick, uh, just, and I'll do my kitchen sink version. Of this. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're on a movie podcast, so I, I, I felt like, you know, this would be the appropriate place to, to mention it or to, to talk about it, but essentially what you're describing and, and why that appeals to you, what appeals to you so much about that, and that storytelling quality is, uh, I mean, it's the same for me too, this idea of myth. Um, there's the, just, the, you know, archetypes, mythology, and I can't take credit for this little comparison because, you know, there's already been a, a great little movie monologue written about it by our, uh, by, you know, by, by, a, a guy named uh, Quentin Tarantino and Kill Bill 2 when, you know, David Carradine has that shot glass and he's talking about Superman yes. and, yeah. and the mythology of comic books, which is totally fascinating. But that, I think that all ties into all of this is, is the, why it's so appealing to, to me and, and fascinating to both Alan and myself is there's just, just the idea of myth and mythology and how storytelling connects to all that. Because for for as long as I've known Alan, I know you you've taken an interest in theology too, right? I mean, yep. just like different religions and cultures, you know. So I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I think Pan's Labyrinth connects to all of that, and you can see this how the strings sort of attach to the comic book as well when you think of it from the perspective of like you know, myth, film as myth, uh, film as right. mythology, or you know. Uh, storytelling as myth and yeah. etc. Et yeah, because so. either way, you still have that same structure. You either way, you got like the antagonist, yeah. protagonist. You got the conflict. Mm-hmm. You got the drama. You know, it's just hero has their motivations. Mm-hmm. All the characters do. So it just all kind of has that same bone structure, no matter what. So it yeah. gets there for sure. Now the right. interesting thing is that we try to do a brief synopsis, but I try to think what would be a synopsis to explain with this movie because to me, I feel like there's no words. It always changes up to explain Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. I can never seem to find 
always the right words because then later on I sit there and I think back on what I say and I'm like, damn, I should have said <laughs> this and this too, but I always add it because I always like, there's always something else to add to it. But right. if, we were to, yeah. if we were to sum up Penn's Labyrinth, like, what do you think that we would say? I mean, like, what's a good way of probably summing up Penn's Labyrinth? Um, I, I guess it's um, it's a story about a little girl and her mother who are five years after the Spanish Civil War being taken to an officer in the army. And it just centers around the mother's pregnancy with the officer's child and the girls escape into a fantasy world. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I would argue that there are two movies here and it is like, yeah, it's hard. There are like, this is like the Bible for combining two different movies or two different, um, parallel worlds uh just mm-hmm. seamlessly because yes. i mean never it never feels like totally weird or uneven or anything like mm-hmm. that so having said that i would say that there are two brief descriptions the first one i would say is that it's uh I, the, the first one i would say is that it's an adult fairy tale uh that looks at um that looks at fascism versus mm-hmm. imagination like that's that's kind of thematically you know yeah. what it deals with and fascism uh you know evil versus innocence you know that that kind of thing tip you know your typical thematic stuff right um the second story that which is the more literal one is that a girl goes to live with her new stepfather who is a uh who is a member of the the fascist regime and um basically has to find escape and solace through her fantasy world and through her imagination world as like the horrors of war and reality start to close in Mm -hmm. on that situation. And Um, it blends for her. The world start to really, they start to cross over and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can't blame her too, because it's, she's pretty much in an abusive home. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy, you know, in this case, like when we talk about fairy tales, the general is the wicked stepmother, but this time the wicked stepfather. Yeah. So she's, you know, it, Reminds me a lot of different stories from people who've had gone through abusive homes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, especially with our own mom. Cinderella was her her big outlet and stuff like that. And sometimes right. in order to cope with the darkness, you have to find a little bit of some sort of glimmer of, of hope somewhere. And usually like, and in this case, Ophelia, her fantasy world was kind of like that that little globe, uh, a glimmer of hope, I guess you could say, yeah. in order right. to find maybe her own strength and see what she's yeah. capable of in order to try to get out of that. So see what I mean? Like, oh man, I can just go <laughs> so deep. Yeah. It's yeah. always something it, so different every time I watch the movie. So, Oh yeah. It's it. Well, it's one of those that, you know, you peel back layers and um, I think that the movie, like, I, I mean, obviously it's anti-war. Every movie mm-hmm. is, anti, you know, what movie isn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I mean, but, but I mean, I think that more than being like ant, ant, you know, anti-war, and more than being like, um, you know, having this message of like uh, world peace or something like that, mm-hmm. I think it's more interested just in looking at the resilience of of uh, the resilience of imagination, especially the resilience of a child's imagination, mm-hmm. and how it can make sense of an increasingly ugly and violent world Mm -hmm. and i i that that really speaks to me and is really fascinating especially that the movie does it in such a way that feels like i mean it feels like the hellboy version of that or it feels like the almost like a i don't i I don't want to say like comic book version of that because you know you're dealing in two different mediums there when when you bring that to the equation but you know it, it it feels like this this it it does it feels like a fairy tale like a fairy tale for adults and uh communicates in that way and i just um i think it does it i I think it does that so well and finds that balance uh you know so well i it really is about uh you know imagination versus rigid conformity or imagination versus oppression and the way that having that having imagination and that that ability to to stay young mentally is is a way to cope with that and a way to deal with it and, yeah. and make sense with it um because all the monsters are metaphorical you Absolutely. know in the movie yeah yeah that's the thing like i even sit there and i've thought i mean i've thought about this so many times but 
how it also in a way kind of compares with the Anne Frank story with how she had to go through, you know? Um, So, you know, you brought up that it comes from a a child's perspective in a way and in a very cruel environment, what better way to get that across to people because you're, you know, the whole idea too from is that it's to make you feel something as an an adult, you hope that it touches your heart and that it does pull in your heartstrings and, we have to have a little bit of that in order to have the empathy and mm-hmm. sometimes even the sympathy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, either way, the movie gets me a little bit tear up and choke up too. So oh, it's so good. Well, yeah. you, 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 have, you did a standing ovation. In the theater. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a fun little story about yeah. just a fun little anecdote. The first time I saw the movie, I had to go, I had to drive with my friends to Charleston, which is an hour away from where Alan and I live because they know all oh, they know. They're, they're West Virginia boys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for, those, for those who don't know, I, I just, yeah. yeah, I figured you guys, I, you know, would probably pick up or be familiar with Charleston in, in some capacity. But so we went to a movie theater there to watch it. And uh, like I, w- I was 16 years old and it was the most, it was the saddest thing in the world because like it was over and everybody like got up to leave just like a normal movie ends or whatever. It's like, okay, time to go out to the car. And I just immediately like broke into applause. So it's just like (laughs) one teenage kid in a theater full of people, just like, you know, and this was, keep in mind, this was before the era of Marvel post-credit sequences. So, so we'll just had to let it all out. right there. It was, I mean, I, 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 it had been recommended to me by friends, but I had no, idea how much it was going to affect me yeah. uh, by the time it was it was over it's just uh, there's really nothing there's just nothing like it it's just a wholly yeah. original and beautiful movie and yeah. it's very very haunting uh, no, very okay, personal yeah. and it's really I feel like every movie that Del Toro has done since then has been somewhat personal well very personal in a lot of different ways but that was kind of for me, that was when he was really at the peak of it, where it was like, okay, yeah. this is what I can do yeah. with like a budget and a and a man and well, the cinematography in the movie. Personal. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. This one definitely felt like his very most personal work, and maybe even see a little bit a depth of who he is, and maybe mm-hmm. what he's also gone through as well. So yeah, I yes. agree with you. I think this was probably his most personal work, definitely. Honestly. And it's cool to see to see the transition, especially coming from the Devil's Backbone. Yes, which is which I always feel like is a strong comparison with this movie. Because, it is. Yeah, they, yeah. they have you know they kind of take. I believe they take place around the same time, if I remember correctly. I believe they're both during the Civil War. That, that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, or during the Spanish Civil War. Excuse I mean, me. obviously, yeah. I love Devil's Backbone, but I feel like that was just a precursor for him to be like, okay, now I kind of know what I can do with a good ghost story. Let's see what I can do now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you brought up a good point, like the cinematography, Chef's mm-hmm. Kiss. You know, yeah, and it, yeah. it, it ended up winning the Academy Award for that, actually. So, yeah. oh, did okay, I couldn't remember. Yeah, 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 it, picked did, up, yeah. it picked up a few Academy Awards. I want to say maybe three, right? Yeah, at one that sounds art, right. Uh, I, art direction, cinematography, and best makeup. And yeah, it was nominated yeah. for six total, six total, six total. Okay. But wow. it, it should have won all six. <laughs> it really should have. Yeah, I agree. It really well, should have got I, more nominations than what it got. Right. I, I mean, I was, of course, watching the Oscars because I saw the movie the night of the Oscars. So, I mean, I was watching, you know, I was furious that. But I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, now it's like if I were watching the Oscars, I would I would expect that. And I would I might even be wrong because Parasite just won a couple years ago, which just right. made, nearly made me like. I know, I know. I know. I was like, hopefully that opened the door. I'd like to. Yeah, I know. I know. That's awesome, but it's like, that's incredible. I mean, you really could have fooled me. Um, And they say foreign films don't do well in the box. Yeah, and we, listen, before we go off on a tangent, Will and I, we we sat down together and watched Parasite. Uh, We'll have to do a discussion on that one day. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, that one's kind of going up there on my list a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Yeah. Um, so um, Will had had talked about his first time seeing the the movie. Um, Alan, when was the first time that you saw the movie that you caught wind of it? Yeah, so I, I think around this time, um, I can't remember if I just straight up bought it um, or what, but I, I picked up a copy of it because I didn't watch it in theaters. Um, the the first uh, foreign language film that I remember actually watching in theaters that blew my mind was The Orphanage. 
I love that movie. Yeah, yes. too. yeah no, okay. uh, I remember the ending of that movie and I was crushed. But anyway, yeah. well, that's, that's a whole other beast. Speaking of being crushed by endings, so I watched Pan's Labyrinth. And uh, I, I remember watching the film at home. And when it was over, um, I, I didn't... I, I didn't want to buy into the literal or, or the, I guess the, the metaphorical ending of, you know, the life will always live on your memory will always live on for those who are, who are looking for it. The, you know, the girl saved her brother uh, through a subconscious means and everything like that. And, you know, she, she did die and she, she used her fairy tales as an escape from her awful situation where she didn't want to be. I remember watching it the first time and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. So she really was a princess. You know, I wanted that. <laughs> I wanted that happy the beauty of the movie because yeah. I think you can always take that as well. Like, cause yeah. yeah. And, and that's the thing too. And I remember the, a little bit. Yeah. First time watching it whenever uh, at, at the end of the movie, when um, you know, after she's shot and she's in the realm with her mom and dad again, it, it does the close up, And this is uh, another thing that we all have, touched on uh it's a beautiful shot of her lifting up her shoes and she's wearing ruby red shoes you know obviously Mm -hmm. a wizard of oz reference for that she she went home and it's one of those like yeah man just chilling moments even when you think about it like it's yeah yeah. it said he chills up my my spine just talking Mm -hmm. about it like remembering (laughs) that that moment that you're talking about yeah it's um you know when 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 you uh, uh I'm sure you've experienced this too. When you, when you love film and you try and you really like try to watch the, the, the masterpieces and that kind of thing, when you find yourself talking about it with other people later who haven't seen these movies or are maybe are not as familiar with them. And they always tend to sound like so depressing. And it's like, (laughs) why do you do that to yourself? Why do you, you know, and because you, because that's, that's, that's drama. That's, that's all the way back to, you know, a Greek tragedy, you know, catharsis and all that fun stuff. That's, right. you know, so, I mean, yeah, it, it does tend to get a little depressing sometimes because drama is, but like, I, I feel like if it sounds like that with, with Pan's Labyrinth and anyone listening to this or what, you know, at home who's never seen it, don't, don't think that it's, uh, you know, don't get the impression that it's some like, just awful dirge and then it's over it really is like i mean like a fairy tale and it's like a beautifully executed one and there are a lot of thriller elements and there are some really uh really there's shocking moments oh yeah are some shocking moments but even the violence even the more brutal violence in the movie is done in a very cinematically poetic way a very tasteful way and the yeah. characters are all very complex and three dimensional. It's not, it is not some like boring art yeah. house slog. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Each of them have like their own, they yeah. all kind of have their own thing going on. And yeah, know, yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a viewer, we know that we see that, but there's kind of like not a whole lot of communication between them <laughs> in that aspect. But, you know, it's just kind of like, well, doing my thing because, you know, we see the general just care about. He just yep. wants the baby pretty much. And, you know, Philly mm-hmm. wants to get away and the mom, the mom just wants to survive pretty much. <laughs> yep. And I mean, it's just crazy, crazy. Stuff. Um, and I'll go ahead and be the one to do this. This is obviously the elephant in the room because we're probably going to talk about this for, for a while. <laughs> so we'll, we'll try to condense it down or else this is going to be a nine hour long episode. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> the, the pale man. Oh, and oh my all God, of yes. the symbolism. Yes. So I, I almost jumped out of my chair and was like, all right, we're doing this thing. Whenever you mentioned uh, the comparison to Anne Frank, you know, inside of the pill man's room, there's a pile of shoes. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. an obvious oh, yeah. reference to Holocaust Memorial, mm-hmm. yeah. everything like that. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's obviously the the. Uh, the allusions to Saturn eating his children. I, I believe that's the painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, there, there's allusions to that and uh, Krampus stuff like that. There's just yeah. all kinds of stuff in jam packed into the and Gretel room. with all the food there. Yes, on the table. yeah, yeah. A perfect, yeah, perfect example. And the the table was also arranged to where it kind of mirrored the dinner in the real world mm-hmm. where the captain sat at the head of the table too, just that's, like the pale man did. That's what I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't notice the, the fairy tale stuff, but, but no, that's, that's absolutely mm-hmm. right. The Holocaust thing is really fascinating and spot on mm-hmm. to me because we mentioned and, or and Frank at, right. at the beginning 
mm-hmm. or earlier on when we were talking. And then, um, you know, the movie deals very, very heavily and strongly with fascism. So that has to be intentional. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. With, and without, without question. Yeah. And, and yeah, because when I was watching the pale man, man scene, I was in my mind, I was thinking, okay, like how does this mirror her real life experiences? I wasn't thinking about the mythological aspects mm-hmm. of it and all that. And yeah, there, there's, there's definitely, there's, you know, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. Right. yeah. Because they, they show you from the beginning. Um, and and I, I'm happy that they do this. The the first time we, we see Ophelia, she's in the car with her mother and she's reading a fairy tale book and she's yeah. holding, you know, three or four books in her hand. So she's taking everything that she's read in her books and putting it into practice in her imagination and coping, um, you know. But before there was Disney and happily ever after, so there was grim fairy tales, yes. and they were brutal, man. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's embodied a lot of that. You know what I mean? Like that was commonplace stories. You know, the 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 story of a pale man eating fairies or eating children to to those who don't finish their supper or yeah. something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I yeah. mean, and you look at uh, like and. It's mostly Mexican lore, I believe, but the you know Curse of La Llorona, if I'm saying it right, La Llorona, La Llorona, yeah. and like we've we've had some Spanish friends from Mexico where we can ask them about that, and they're like, oh yeah, we've heard <laughs> we had to hear about that when we were children, <laughs> yeah, and it was just a way to make you know kids pretty much behave. Yeah. That's what a lot of those stories were. Made I feel like too, American so. culture is pretty low on the bar of you know <laughs> what I mean. It's like yeah. you don't get pre- you don't get presents from Santa if you're bad this year, or yeah. you don't get money from the tooth fairy. Like Germans are like, listen, <laughs> you're going to get drugged to hell by Krampus if you right. even misbehave. Exactly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no Lagerona to come and get us either. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, and you have the frog monster too, which is not, I mean, admittedly not nearly as, as um, memorable as the pale man, mm-hmm. but I mean, the idea of she asks the frog one, uh, the frog monster at one point, why do you live underneath of the, the, this the tree, tree and just consume it fucking yeah. Yeah. life and beauty yeah. out of, out of this, this tree and you, you get fatter and fatter while the tree withers and dies away. Mm-hmm. I mean, perfect metaphor for yeah fascism and economic yeah. uh oppression you know yeah, perfectly exactly. a sinful yeah. sinful thing gluttony so yeah right you know, yeah mm-hmm. it's just it, it's really incredible del toro this guy's career the way he has consistently been able to walk that line between yeah. to do things that are that are really like really strong meaningful poetic art house cinema you know right. yeah, and mainstream yeah. it yeah, and, too. and it is yeah. main, and it is mainstream for for wider audiences who are who are maybe looking for for something who might be looking for for something that's a little bit more direct yeah. I mean, yeah. he yeah. consistently meets those uh objectives i was thinking of that about that a little bit just recently watching nightmare alley also the way he's able to do that kind of thing uh, and he's just he's one of my favorite when i want to see yeah. it so bad yeah i, I won't i won't <laughs> Yeah, I won't spoil it, anything. Will, uh, you only live five minutes away from me, and if you spoil anything in that so movie, I won't. Yeah, <laughs> it's on. But I did, I did send you a text message, did I not? I sent him yes. a text message after I saw it, and I said yeah. it, it might be my favorite Del Toro since Pan's Labyrinth. So. Yeah, I can't oh, wait to watch wow. it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very good. Yeah. But, but, I mean, I also really like noir. And yeah. I, I also really like the 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 darkest of the dark stuff, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to uh, human nature yeah. and, and uh, noir and German expressionism and all that stuff. So I like I yeah, I really enjoyed it, but it's it's pretty bleak. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> he shows that he has a really good balance of that because like he's you know he's he's kind of like a big geek like a lot of us are in a way you know you look at um yeah like Pacific Rim you know he's a big fan of the kaiju film me too I love yeah. So, yeah yeah you know, but I. Uh, when it comes to his emotional work and all this stuff, oh man, he can, he just does it so right. I don't know how he does it necessarily, but he just does it really right. Hits all the yeah. strings, right? Especially on the emotional level, because that's where it really gets me the most. And that's where, I don't know, that's my sweet spot. So I'm like, if yeah. you can get me yeah, there, yeah. then you're on the right track. You're on, you're on to something. It's, yeah. uh, it's, you know, firing on all cylinders. Cause typically what brings filmmakers with his sensibilities down in movies that are less successful than his, I think is that they, they tend to, um, they have a very strong 
sense of atmosphere, world building and that kind of thing. But they don't really like when it comes to anything emotional, it's, it gets too sentimental. It gets too literal. Maybe I, I don't know, but like with him, he really knows how to like pack that emotional punch and do it in subtle nuanced ways. And, you know, it's, it's just, he's, he's great. <laughs> but So I got to ask you guys too, real quick as well. Um, now that it's been like, gosh, what, 15 years, maybe since the movie came out. Uh, wow. When did it, I know time. Comes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> when do you feel like it's become like your favorite movie? When did you guys, when you look back, like, like was it love like, at first sight? Yeah. Or, like, yeah, I think, it was love it yeah, yeah, I really do. I think it was love at first sight. Like, um, because I went back and rewatched the movie for, for this podcast. And I, I just, as soon as you turn it on, I got that nostalgia feel. It's like, okay, I remember why I love this movie. Yeah. And, and it it's weird. I, I didn't want to sound like I'm a grumpy old man, you know, <laughs> uh, but I watched it. I was like, movies aren't like this anymore. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like just that feeling and just the, the beginning shots of everything and how everything is laid out. You know, I was just, um, because Will, Will and I, we, we talk about it all the time, like 2006 and 2007, are, were definitely our probably our favorite years for movies collectively because yeah. you know we had there will be blood come out this come out no country for old men sweeney todd yeah. like it was so many heavy hitters back to back you know 2007 was like my yeah. woodstock year probably <laughs> for, for <me>. nice <laughs> because yeah, i remember we we got together and watched the oscars and we were just so excited for everything because I mean, e- yeah yeah everything was was gold that year yeah it, it really was, was. No country for all men. Yes, that's um, oh yeah, so good yeah. one as well. I, that's one I hope that we can get on the podcast at some point because oh, we'll, we'll we'll be we'll be waiting in the sidebar <laughs> Zoom call in case you guys need to bring other people in. Yeah, we'll be call for that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get on there. Be like, uh, Pocus Focus Three is on Kickstarter. Issue four is coming out soon. Whatever you guys <laughs> need. Okay, go. so there no country go. for old men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I gotta ask too, and I know this is kind of a weird question, but it's one that. Josh normally asks everybody, but if there was a sequel to this film, if there was hypothetically, how do you think that would go? And who do you think you would want to see in the movie? Uh, actually, I, I talked to Will about this uh, because this is a hard question to answer, right? My, my first knee jerk reaction to answer you guys is to say, I'm leaving this podcast and there should never be a sequel <laughs> to this movie. Why would you ever ask that? Um, what, what I would like to see though, I think this would be really cool. Um, do you guys remember the uh, the art style that they used to tell the lore in Hellboy Two, Golden mm-hmm. Army, like oh, yeah, with yeah. like the wooden figures and stuff like yes. that? I would love to see a prequel to this movie, but just really building off the fairy tale world about the princess that wanted to be human. I think um, you know, and then including all the the mythical creatures and stuff like that right. into this cool little fairy tale short just to kind of give a little bit more lore and background to ophelia's imagination and what she's seeing and why she's seeing what she's seeing and even you know incorporate some stuff with the pale man the toad you know everything yeah. like that that that's what i would instead of a sequel i know that kind of doesn't really no, answer no, the question good. directly you know, that, yeah that's part of the other question too is like you know what would you think of also a remake and all that stuff so mm-hmm. instead of offering a sequel or a remake you're saying a prequel which yeah. that would be very interesting especially mm-hmm. on the fantasy element and that's yeah. more of the world building which sounds like that's more of what you're interested in probably yeah i love an idea yeah and that's you know and that kind of bleeds into um you know my writing whenever i approach will because i always want to start with the world and mm-hmm. i say will what can we do this what are our laws what are our limitations because we we try to really hone in on inconsistencies and um because we want the experience to be as fun for the reader as possible. And I, I love knowing all I can about something. And um, I I just think a a prequel would be so cool just to see the, the princess world and and then why she wanted to be human and and stuff like that. You know, did she little mermaid it? Did she witness a human? (laughs) And she's like, now I want to be part of your world. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Uh, Will, what would you want to see? She's got a lot of Um, (laughs) bobs. What do they call them? legs (laughs) legs uh, <laughs> i would want to if there were i mean obviously you know to hypotheticals because i mean the the movie by design is not re- you know is not particularly sequel friendly however i i think it would be cool if something like that had to be done i think it would be kind of intriguing to see another another story completely separate from the one in pan's labyrinth that is taking place around the civil war um 
and and you know where where is the fawn moving to next and and what kind of more like moral dilemmas and uh coming of age situations because i feel like it would have to involve a child just by the nature of the you know so maybe it's a little boy taking care of his his uh you know dying um mother or father or something during the mm-hmm. war and like you know the, there's a you know the <laughs> the only scenario that could be more depressing than his home blew up now and yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's all right yeah everyone's but, sleeping in the same bed like in Willy Wonka oh don't even get me started on Grandpa Joe <laughs> oh, yeah, he's yeah. a piece of crap <laughs> he was yeah, he, able he, to move he, oh. exactly he was just milking his uh, his yeah. age Okay, yeah. yeah, we're gonna have to do like a a sidebar episode then on me just just blasting Grandpa Joe go. for twenty minutes. <laughs> the fawn walks in and everybody's in bed and he's just like he looks around and he's just like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Okay, yeah. I'm I thought the girl in Spain had it bad enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like it's like right. It's like Poseidon or somebody. Yeah. Oh no, this isn't this is this isn't my bag, man. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, wait a minute, they sent me on this mission. Nah, <laughs> yeah. Let's get the pale man out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this is a job for the pale man. <laughs> well, in yeah. that case, so just to kind of sum up everything, we talked about Pan's Labyrinth here. Um, I was kind of curious before we go to what are some of your other favorite movies? Um, yeah, so uh, I'm obviously a huge fan of uh, animation. Uh, claymation, though, is is really where I my jaw always hits the floor. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of obviously Nightmare Before Christmas, and um, but my my gold standard for claymation. It seems like I have one that I love, and then I find another one that I love even more. Um, Paranorman knocks it out of the park for me. Absolutely, um, Kubo and the Two Strings. I yep. still haven't gotten over that movie yet. Um, but you know, aside from those, uh, I'm a huge fan of there will be blood. Uh, thank you for smoking is my go-to comedy oh, yeah. that I absolutely <laughs> love to watch. Um, you know, completely shamelessly uh, and it, you know, everyone has their guilty pleasure yeah. movies, blood sport with oh, Tom Claude Van Damme. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Every time. Action, martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's blood sport, kickboxer. It's the same movie. But yeah. I love Bloodsport. Yeah. <laughs> Bloodsport's mine too. I like that yeah. one. What about you, Will? Uh, I well, I actually just re- recently revamped my top ten. Oh, <laughs> but, nice. But, but rather than give you like a big, you know, countdown and and you know, turn this into the the, the Will Radford countdown the, show, the, <laughs> the Will Radford channels Roger Ebert show. Um, <laughs> Did you put I, Night uh, of the Hunter on there? Because I forgot to mention that one. Oh, Ooh, that's, 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 that's a really yeah. good movie. I do uh, that one. Yeah. Not on my list, but it could be. Well, uh, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not on the top 10, you know. Yeah. No, I really, these days, I don't know. I'm I really, I'm a really big fan of uh, Solaris, Andre Tarkovsky's Solaris. Right. I really, I might, might be slowly creeping in for, for the favorite movie category. Um, I love Dead Ringers. I love Mulholland Drive. I love um, Ravenous. Uh, oh, there will be blood, Ghost World, and uh, Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. And Fantastic Planet and Batman Returns, and I think that's all nice. of us. Yeah, nice. Not, yeah, not, it's just not, like you guys have some really good classic <laughs> ones, and for me, I'm sitting there like, yeah. Oh, well, my top ten will probably be a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's and that's the beauty of it all too, right? Because like, um, and then there's one thing that Will and I definitely have agreed on. We've talked about it extensively. Uh, Robert Eggers for both of us. Yes. Um, you know, whenever we both saw The Witch, like, and that is probably as of right now easily top two favorite horror movies of all time you know i love that movie yeah yeah, completely blown away um but yeah that's a obviously could be a topic for another time but yeah (laughs) absolutely it's weird weird because sometimes when it comes to those movies that has a witch character and it's just Mm. scary crazy or whatever i get obsessed with those kind of characters i really Mm -hmm. even in some of my writings i sit there and i'm like there's a scary witch here blah 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 um yeah, just, well, yeah. we can't wait for you. Hopefully, you guys stick with Pocus. 
Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like one of my all-time scary ones, honestly, is from the movie Return to Oz. That's just one. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, man. Just Mombi character, you know, just yeah. There's a certain scene in there where we see her wake up, and mm-hmm. that scared me as a kid, and <laughs> it just always stayed. So I've had to think for also body horror. So like missing mm-hmm. body parts. I'm like, gotta include yeah. that in there somewhere in my stories, you know, so especially decapitation. So yeah, I know. Are I'm you a, a uh, are you a Cronenberg fan with the body horror? A little horror? bit, a little bit. It just depends yeah. because like I've also seen some stuff that was pretty extreme, like uh that I just right, not right. revisit again. Like uh <laughs> if you ever heard of like the German necromantic films, I will not uh, revisit yeah, yeah. those again. And um <laughs> recently heard about this 2016 Spanish film uh called Night of the Virgin, which is meant to be like a comedy <laughs> horror. Yeah. And it's oh, cool. It's right? like a teen sex oh. comedy gone wrong and it turns into horror. So and there's yeah, a, no I know I know the familiar with that one. That I think because I have, well, I have Shutter. I don't know if it's the same movie, but it's is the whole thing like a parody and like, it's, or it's really okay. It's really weird because so like not, big, I have not, not been able to see like the whole movie, but I saw like this. <laughs> I spoiled myself, and I saw like the long ten minute near the end thing of what happens with this this guy who's the virgin character. Oh wow! Okay. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, any bodily orifice and fluid you can think of is all that happens and also in this scene and uh, okay. oh i was like okay yeah that turned yeah. my stomach a little bit i don't think i could yeah watch this whole thing. But, yeah yeah and i sit there and I, and I love like uh oh gosh uh peter jackson's film uh Bring dead alive oh, yeah Man. dead alive is you know, so like, good. um and so dead alive the I first time watch i watched that, that right? it's no dead alive turned my stomach i don't yeah. know what <laughs> it was same, about same yeah it was the it was it the same scene for you as the lawnmower scene where he's running through the house holding up the there's lawnmower. that and then there's like the oh, the, no, pus, it's, it's the, the pus the pus scene the like no, the, I was fine with that worst, it was the, the lawnmower scene was what killed me <laughs> that yeah, was that, bad too yeah the worst one for me was the the ear in the soup oh the yeah <laughs> yeah oh. I think it's the way you're talking about I can't remember yep. oh, it's, oh, the, yeah, it's right. the same oh. one. Yep. it's the same it's scene like, actually yeah well I read about that movie you know, and its reputation and how they handed out barf bags and how (laughs) like when it opened and, and how like it, at the time it was released, I think it had like the most gore being pumped per second at some places. Like it really, I mean, it really just went over the top, but, but for me, the, the places that, that, that got me as far as grossing me out were those little moments like the 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 soup eating scene. Oh yeah. So it's oh, yeah. funny though oh. because um you know obviously I I'm a massive 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 Lord of the Rings fan. It's probably my favorite franchise that's out there. Um and I, I remember there was a uh, behind the scenes talk about it whenever Peter Jackson first brought people in to do the test screenings for it. The studio was thinking, what the hell did we get ourselves into? Because <laughs> he had the walls lined with posters from his other movies. So there's stuff like Dead Alive and all and Frighteners and stuff like that all in there. And he, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, like, is right. this guy going to be able to do this? And then the guy that made Dead Alive made Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, like 10 Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the king. Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and goes on to show you, like, oh gosh, like some of those filmmakers who made kind of like the small budget horror films who went on to just go on and direct the big budget yeah. stuff. Uh, you look at the guy, Mike Doherty, who directed mm-hmm. Trick or Treat and then went oh, into love that movie. directing Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's just, it's interesting to see the, I guess you say the dichotomies, the differences yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, my definitely. god, yeah. The some of there's I don't know, I've seen some pretty extreme stuff like we were saying, and just some of them I, I can't. I'm like, nope. But for some reason, dead alive, I have no problem with. It's just <laughs> to me, it's it's funny, but I guess it, when it comes it to is some hilarious. of the yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I you know, necromantic, that's more about necrophilia, and then the other one was I don't even know how to just it's I don't want to spoil it for you guys unless you just have to go see it. <laughs> no, I, I I'm curious. I'm very curious. Uh, like, basically, like at the end, there's a male pregnancy that happens, and it's very graphic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. They really went all out. They did. All right. So we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up, guys. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for coming by. And then also, if you guys want to go ahead and uh, give the information again, like when the Kickstarter starts and how long it yeah, goes for, yeah. and then also where people can find you. Definitely. Um, again, I'm Alan Dunford. Um, 
half of the uh, Pocasocus Dream Team, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> writing staff, I should say. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Chaps of Fury is my handle. Um, and the Pocus Hocus is going to be running uh, January 25th through 30 days after that. So I guess uh, February 24th. Um, and the best way to reach out to us is obviously just through Kickstarter. Our Pocus Hocus uh, Gmail account is linked to there, and that's Pocus Hocus Comic at gmail.com. So if you have any questions about anything, Will and I are eager to answer those questions. And we, we hope to see you in the series. Thanks. Go ahead, Will. Uh, yeah, so my um, as far as social media goes, you can find me on Instagram, and my handle on that or for that is willrad82. That's willrad82. And then if you want to check out any of my uh, film and video work, you can go to vimeo.com/slash willrad. W i l l r a d. And um, obviously, we we want to end with this. Uh, thank you, guys. Really, uh, thank you very we, much. We yeah. love we love comic books, but the first thing that Will and I ever bonded over was film. So yeah. it's yeah. it's awesome to be able to do this and talk about one of the first movies that we bonded over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, man, it, it's awesome. Yeah, oh, thank you guys, it's been a blast. Oh yeah, no problem. And thank you guys for being on the podcast and for sharing your project with us and also for talking about this movie, because I do think that we hit every bullet we can on, on terms of analyzing this movie. It's one of my favorites and we can go on and on and on. So yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. And I agree. This is a really, really fun conversation and you guys are welcome back onto the show anytime. Uh, please check out Alan Will's Kickstarter campaign for Pocus Hocus number three. You can find the link to it in our show notes below, or you can look for it on our social media uh, profiles on Instagram and Twitter via YNF Movie Pod. You can also find me, Chad, on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd via the screen name Green Screen Grin. And uh, Chris, tell the people where they can find you at. Sure. Uh, you guys can find me on Instagram at xtopher of Oz, and then on Instagram at CBC Monkey. Uh, Letterbox, I'm on there as well. I can't remember which one it is, if it's CBC Monkey or if it's Xtofer Vaz. I think it's CBC Monkey. But either way, you guys can find me there too. Um, you can find me through Chad and Josh. But yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, Chad and I had a great time. 